you like to hear about how I'm gonna get into candles? Aren't you already into candles? Oh no, I'm gonna get into candles, like making the candles, not just owning the candles, but okay. creating. Like so, beeswax and stuff? I don't know much about the wax yet, Marika. I'm obviously at the beginning of this journey. So far, all I've done in terms of my candle adventure is take a candle that I already have that had like a whole bunch of wax around the edge, but like the wick had gone down in the middle. And I was like, oh no, this is going to be a huge waste of all this wax. Seems like the bees shouldn't have made it in vain. <laughs> wax is made, like real talk though. Bees make it, right? Yeah. Bees makes bees make beeswax, but you can also get like paraffin wax. Like there are other yeah. waxes. Paraffin wax is the kind that they're always trying to get me at the spa with. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, How are your feet? And I'm like, horrid. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mm. I got a pedicure. Mm, very exciting. It was very exciting and my feet look great and it's been Ugh. very lovely. Um but the woman was just like well, first she was, like, really concerned because just, like, my knees were, like, very red. <laughs> and then the rest of me was, like, very pale and kind of purpley because that's what happens when you have bad circulation and don't see the sun. Um, yeah. And so she was like, is, like, the water too hot? And I was like, no, like, it was too cold. <laughs> I was like, no, no, like, that's just how my skin is. And she was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then she was it. like, yeah, she was literally like, ugh, white people. And then she was like, can I, like, like scrape? And I was like, please. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and then she was just basically being like, yeah, like, it's been a long time. And I was like, it's been a very long time. She's like, what, like, six months? And I was like, girl. <laughs> oh, Like, a year and a half. <laughs> I feel sympathy to your experience, but also just, like, the sheer amount of nonsense that I get when I go in for a pedicure is absurd. They laugh when they see me coming. <laughs> Anyways, this isn't about that, but I appreciate the struggles that you've experienced and I'm sorry that they happened to you, but also good on you for getting your toes done. What color? Uh, burgundy, of course. Well, yeah, that's the only color. Yeah. Um, but it's about my wax journey. Okay. So first off, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get some fucking wax Whatever kind, not paraffin though, I think like beeswax. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to just like shove some stuff in a thing and see what happens. And then next, I'm going to try and figure out how you get the wood burning wicks. That's step two. Step three, conquer the world. Perfect. Burn it down, a la Nero. <laughs> Tiny violin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of this has anything to do with uh, today's episode, which is of pantry staples by the way welcome to pantry staples everybody the podcast where we dish on your favorite foods i'm marika and i'm emily and uh today we're talking about kimchi which is episode two in our fermentation series yeah so we're taking sauerkraut from last episode and kind of i don't know taking a different <laughs> spin on fermented it spicing it up yes Yep, them spicy folks. And I got lots to say about the spice situation. Ooh! Many questions. Really just questions and queries as per usual. No actual facts for you. <laughs> yeah, mine's just like me. I mean, I'm just going to get scream. I'm just going to be screaming at the end. Delightful. 
So, can I tell you a little bit about how kimchi is different from sauerkraut? Please do. So, basically, they're, again, both just ways of preserving vegetables so that you can have some good vitamins and all that good stuff in the winter months. But kimchi, it's uh, a little bit sour, a little bit sweet, and I... Again, carbonation seems to be a little bit more of an important thing in here. Uh, sauerkraut being just a bit more acidic in taste. Now, we obviously have cabbage being like the main ingredient of sauerkraut, though. You know, vegetables, they be vegetable and we do what we do. And in kimchi, it's also like cabbages. It's also highly or it's mostly radishes as well. Super popular. And mm-hmm. there's this... Um, thing where it's like in the summer if you're making it it's made to be eaten like pretty like consumed pretty rapidly after you've made it so it's just like whatever vegetables are around but if you're making it in the fall for like preserving into the winter then it's going to be mostly radishes and cabbages so that's now for kimchi unlike a sauerkraut we see it being seasoned with a lot of different things so like garlic red pepper green onions ginger salt sometimes we do some fermented fish products in there uh, just like making it a little funky, which delightful. Why wouldn't we want to do that? So how do we make this? Well, first, the cabbage slash whatever veg you're doing is brined, then it's rinsed. Uh, then you have all those other ingredients, all the seasonings that you do. They're combined into a big bowl. And then in like layers, they're going to put the seasoning on and then you're going to wrap it up in some leaves. And then traditionally, you would put it with in like a stone or earthenware pot of some sort and put it in the ground because oh. this keeps it from freezing in the winter and that's obviously good. Or in the summer, it stops the fermentation from like continuing on too long because you don't want to just ferment forever. If it fermented like a lot longer, would you get some sort of weird booze? No, I feel like that's like a different kind of a yeast, right? Like, I don't think you can get like, like the salt probably kills off any of like oh, the Oh yeah, booze. good point, good point. There we go. But you might almost get like, like a sauce. Like it would probably turn like more like a fish saucy type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, Like exactly. it would just like, like mush. Disintegrate. Exactly. Because yeah. that's one of the elements about both sauerkraut and uh, kimchi is that they're supposed to be quite like, still have that crispiness a little bit to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so... The time and the amount of salt totally varies depending on, you know, what time you're doing this, like what time of year, uh, the taste that you want, how long you're going to do it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, So in winter, it can be three to four months and in the summer, three to four days. So quite a range of times. Uh, The pH, I've read in one article, again, I'm sure there's many of people who would disagree with all the things I will say today. That's the theme of it is like everybody's got a lot of opinions about kimchi. Um, Anyways, but one person said the pH should be at 4.2 and the acidity at 0.6%. So this can be attained by fermenting at 20 degrees Celsius and 3% salt, like NaCl. At the same condition, sauerkraut would take 20 to 30 days as opposed to the predetermined time period that I gave you of three to four months or three to four days, again, depending on temperature. Um, But then again, I said 20 degrees centigrade. Anyways, you know, here's some facts for you. Yeah, briefly. Uh, Again, it has that lactic fermentation that we discussed before. So, you know, they're similar, but they're different. Like I said, just a spicier turn. I mean, it seems like there's like a, there's more going on. Like it's the same kind of basic, like chemical processes, but like. Because again, literally this is something that has been consumed 
everywhere around the world for thousands and thousands of years, as soon as they developed agriculture, they developed the need to preserve their food. Because if you're not hunting and gathering and just trying to get what you can when you can get it, you have to make some decisions about how you're going to sustain yourself in the off season. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Uh, There are lots of names historically that were used for kimchi. Some of them, it's really interesting how like the records of this come about. So some are recorded in like Chinese books about Korean, like Chinese historical documents about Korea. Others uh, just, I don't know, just like a variety of sources and so much um, like laying claim to the product from like China and also from Japan and just like all this nonsense. I won't get too much into that, but like wild times. And all the papers that I read were salty as hell. (laughs) Haha, salty because we fermented. But like real, I was like, oh, this is not an academic paper anymore. This just is a diss track. Thank you for that. Um, which I loved so thanks yeah. for real yeah. these so originally called G and then so many other different like names in between but then we end up with kimchi uh, basically all of these names though in all of the different like ancient Korean and then like middle Korean and so on and so forth they just mean vegetables soaked in salted water so they're putting it right out there Perfect. which is great I-, I love a descriptive language like let's just say yes. what we mean Say what you mean to say. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the first records. There is a mentions of salted macerated vegetables from, I'm going to butcher all of these pronunciations, I'm so sorry, in Koguryojun in 289 CE, in Sam Kuksaki, which is published in 1145, but it's writing about the Sinla dynasty, which is 720 CE. Uh, they talk about fermented vegetables being prepared uh, using stone pickle jars, which, cool. Yeah. Uh, this focus on vegetarian food probably attributed to the rise of Buddhism in uh, Korean culture because, obviously, they were not fucking with meat, so they had to get their nutrients other places. Mm-hmm. And also, just, like, everywhere is doing this, so step off Buddhists. Or don't. I don't know. I don't know. No, Buddhists, <laughs> Buddhists, Buddhists are chill. Right? Yeah, that's literally their whole MO. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're the least step-offy of the religious factions, maybe. Perhaps. Except for Kabbalah, the one with the red braid that Madonna made so popular. Do you remember that? (sighs) I just just can't with Kabbalah. No, nobody can except for Madonna and a legion of stars in the mid-2000s. Yeah, just like buy these like 2000... Dollar two thousand year old books and like read. She's so problematic. Oh, not all the Madonna fans out there. Not that we don't stand Madonna occasionally. Anyways, so we are seeing the importance of constant production of kimchi using vegetables and seasonings available uh, in Kapoyukyong in twelve forty one that urges prepare kimchi for winter. Uh, the term kimjong actually means the process of preparing kimchi for winter, which is super cute. Mm-hmm. But they have a specific word for that instead of just the phrase preparing kimchi for winter. They've got more uh, than just a specific word. Oh, they have many. Yes, I'm <laughs> again, this is such a like slap and dash kind of thing here because I just didn't want to get bogged down by three hours worth of information. Uh, anyways, later we see the introduction of imported vegetables from foreign countries, specifically the red pepper. The red pepper is first mentioned in Jibon Gui Sol in 1613 and mentioned in Salim Kayongji, 
1715 as being used in kimchi. So that's apparently the first recorded time when they discuss the red pepper being added to kimchi. Now, that's quite late. Let me tell you all. This is basically what I wanted to focus on. This is just like, if anyone knows, someone tell me because I'm dead curious. But also, I don't think anyone can really know. But there are so many arguments in like the kimchi research community being like, hey, there's no way that we waited for the Japanese invasion to put peppers in our stuff. And they're saying, okay, like the Portuguese and the Spanish went over to uh, the Americas. They brought the pepper back and then they just like propagated it through like Asia. And next thing you know, Korea got peppers and they probably came from Japan because the Japanese invaded. And then here we go. <laughs> but I read a few articles and they're like the time frame between when the peppers came over from the Americas and when we see them being like added in to kimchi seems way too short for them to have one become so popular and two changed as much as they did because it seems like they're very different uh like even genetically speaking from the peppers that we have in like America the Americas uh so there's this one school of thought that there's like just a bunch of peppers that have been around for like a billion years and like when everything was connected and all the continents were together there was like one and then they split and everything kind of changed and mutated and adapted which totally makes sense that's 100% how some things can go yeah which seems to make a lot of sense to me and I feel like I really like that theory but also there's I think more supporting evidence with everybody being like but the Japanese brought them over so I don't know if anyone has an answer about peppers in the kimchi why does it have to be the Japanese bringing it over? Like, Korea is just, like, right connected to China. So, like, wouldn't would it be, like, Chinese? So many articles that I read, though, were like, it's the Japanese invasion. That's what did it. You know, the rape, the pillage, the peppers. The three things. Huh. Do Japanese people even like peppers? They don't really eat spicy food, do they? That's the thing, too, is that, like, there's so much conversation about the different peppers that are being used. Like, for one, the peppers that are in kimchi aren't traditionally, like, super, super hot. And that's part of the argument is, like, the peppers that came from South America are, like, quite spicy. So how did they change so significantly? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Just doesn't really make a lot of sense. But I like to think that they were always there and people just started putting them in whenever they wanted to. And people only started talking about in 1715 because lots of things were just happening that we didn't talk about. Kind of like we were talking about last episode and then also like with tea and stuff like if something's just a habit and it's you do it every single year and it's just part of like your oral tradition like you're not going to write it down you're not going to talk about it because you just do it exactly it's like my favorite meme or like not meme but uh like thing like in the internet is yes. all those posts being like uh this is a thing that happened in harry potter but you actually don't hear about it because it wasn't pertinent to harry's story and the things are just like uh dumbledore was actually an 18 foot giraffe like shit like that <laughs> it's like yeah we didn't put peppers in and nobody wrote it down because it was just happening and yeah that was a terrible analogy thanks for sticking with me always trying to rework the harry potter in here Pretty much. Hufflepuff for life. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so that's basically all I got. Things happened. Twas weird. I didn't really <laughs> want to get too much more into it. But I thought I would end with a lovely poem that was written around the 13th century. It is written by Yi Yobo from Don Kukisankwikip. Thank you. Uh, translated by Michael J. Pettit. Sorry that I can say the white people names. Uh, in his book, Korean Cuisine. Just the fact that you always say thank you after, like, I don't correct you, no one's correcting you. You're just like, thank you for listening to this attempt. 
I just feel so guilty. Like it's anyways, whatever. Uh, so in his book, Korean cuisine and illustrated history. So the, uh, the poem is pickled radish slices make a good summer side dish. Radish preserved in salt is a winter side dish from start to end. The roots in the earth grow plumper every day. Harvesting after the frost, a slice cut by a knife tastes like a pear. Aww. So I thought that was just really lovely. Nice. I like that. Yeah, it was cute. So there you go. People were so obsessed with pickling veggies. Because it's delicious. Why wouldn't you? Okay, well now now that we're halfway through, sort of, not even, uh, I don't want another bombshell being dropped on like last time. Have you had kimchi? No! Oh my god! I know. And I was planning on getting some before we recorded, but life gets ahead of me. Just like order bimbap. I've been really trying not to order so much food in just because I know that my addiction to like takeout can easily take on a life of its own. Would you like to tell me some things about kimchi now? Yeah, I'm going to start off by talking about kimchi and Korean national identity because it's completely wild. And just like, it's, that is, yeah. They are considered very closely knit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so starting off with the Japan-Korea Kimchi War, mm, which was in like the 90s, Koreans <laughs> learned that Korean kimchi was being outsold on global markets by Japanese kimuchi. Oh, I heard about this. I don't know why, but I accidentally did lots of research that was like way too late for what I wanted to look at, and I just like didn't. But yes, I, I'm... I'm up to date on my Korea, Jap- Korean, Japan war. Yeah. I mean, and like all of this, like really, like it gets tangled up in so much like other like identity politics and just like biopolitics. Cause like, mm-hmm. as we all recall, Korea was invaded by Japan and like under really fucked colonial rule for like a long time. Go back so- to that book we read. It was so sad. Anyway. <laughs> I've read like a lot of sad books about Korea being occupied by Japan and then the States. And it's just like, (laughs) I feel like two of them were in like high school. It was like, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm just picturing you going to a bookstore and the person working there goes, oh, like, what are you looking for? And you're just like, I'm looking for sad books about Korea's occupation by Japan. So just like, hey, I don't know, have you got any, like, sad melodrama dramas about Korean occupation? I'm fucking crying. (laughs) Oh, Christ on a cracker. (laughs) Well, anyway, Korean officials who were, like, spoken to about the story were just like, no, it has nothing to do with that. Come on. (laughs) It's just because the Japanese product is inferior. And so then like in 96 to like 2000, they like the Korean Ministry of Food, Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries. That seems like a big job. It's like a lot. It's I mean, they're not a very big country. So I always forget that actually that they're like geographically quite small. Yeah. So in 96 and they like went to thing called codex which of course i didn't write this down because i was just like oh i don't anyway they basically complained (laughs) yeah and people who were in charge of like uh defining i think things sort of like that like foods of national identity and like things that have places right 
Well, the thing is, there's actually, like, a bunch of these. So this is, like, in, like, the mid to late 90s. They go and they're basically just, like, hey, like, kimchi should have, like, a specific, like, not, like, a origin of, like, designation, like, protected designation of origin. Kind of, yeah. And so then basically in 2000, it was, like, ruled that the Japanese kimchi was, like, not real kimchi because they weren't, like, it wasn't even fermented. They were just adding, like, citric acid and, like, different, like, flavor enhancers. Rude. Yeah. So then they were just like, hmm, like, gotcha there. (laughs) Then more recently, like, literally this past November, there's been, like, a kerfuffle, and I feel like it's maybe, like, still ongoing. Hmm. But the Chinese, like, news media was celebrating the Szechuan style of fermented cabbage that we sort of talked about on um, sauerkraut, the pao kai. Uh, I had Xuan Kai, but I wasn't sure if they were the same thing because I did come across that as well. But I assume that they're very much the same. I feel like it's the same. So yeah, so it's like, seems very much similar. And this Pao Kai had just gained like a special certification from the ISO, which is like industry specialization organization. Anyway. The gist is they're important or they think so. They like, it got like a special like recognition. And then the... Chinese like nationalist newspaper Global Times which is just like so generic Mm -hmm. they they said of Pao Kai it is an international standard for the kimchi industry led by China (laughs) and then the kimchi officials were just like um or like Korean officials were just like this is like really inappropriate like how dare you (laughs) I, I didn't write down the quote but it's like they're just like rude so I think that that's still like some like bones of contention, but also according to the BBC article where like I read all of this, Korea actually does import a lot of kimchi from China because they just like can't meet the demand. So it's like, I mean, we kind of see that like not obviously the same way because it doesn't have nearly as much like cultural significance to it, but like with pistachios and how like they're originally like uh, from Iran. Mm. And yet we see them completely being, like, wiped out of the market, even though that's, like, their original home uh, by, like, America. Yeah, just, like, I think the thing to remember, and, like, I'll come back to this later, but kimchi has become, like, its popularity has just, like, soared Mm -hmm. in the past, like, like exponentially in the past, like, 10 years. And so... Ever since everyone started getting real worked up about their gut health. (laughs) Yes, and also hipsters, but we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, so the Japanese issue, and then also like this China one, which is more recent, but it's the Japanese issue in particular seemed to really be the start of Korea's like worldwide effort to promote authentic Korean foods and like, especially kimchi. So we can talk a little bit about intangible cultural heritage, which is a UNESCO recognized, like nationally important, like... It's like something that isn't a place, but it's something so integral to a culture that they mm-hmm. have to acknowledge it. Yeah, I read about these for um, like a bunch of stuff, actually. It's super interesting. Yeah, there's like a lot. And usually like foods and like cuisines are like pretty hard to get in. So there's not like as many, but like you've got. Ooh, what are the other examples? Because I couldn't think only food for, you know, my one track brain. Um, like, I feel like it's, like, like ways of, like, dress and, like, clothing and, like, different, like, practices. I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, I only read about food, but like the articles that I was reading about it were just like, actually, it's really hard or like rare for a food to become like an ICH designation. So, but like other foods are like the gastronomic, like French thing. I don't know. There's like a French one. Like Mexican food is in there, and it's just like Mexican food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Seems like someone phoned it in that day. <laughs> it does. Well, and then, uh, oh, and like the Mediterranean diet is like an intangible cultural heritage. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Obviously, kimchi is one, and actually, specifically, not even just kimchi. It's the kimchi jang, like the making and preparation yeah, the of, process of making it for like winter interesting yeah so the, but these ih ichs are really cool like it's mm-hmm. i don't know like we see the heritageization of food for like a lot of different purposes it's like you know just i, I don't know it's like a weird kind of like political but then also like nice that's the thing is like yes it is inherently a political decision to like go for this thing and like champion it to be a thing but on the other hand like how cute is that and like yeah and also, all these korean people are like jazz out of their minds totally and also like i don't think we can deny that food is like a really important part of like national identity like it is totally. it's it's huge and like we just think about like sort of the inherited nature of food Mm-hmm. food and memory like and I read a lot about that with kimchi in particular like it's one of those things where it's like passed down like from great-grandmother to grandmother to mother to daughter like it's yeah it's so yeah. lovely it's yeah like it's cool I don't know um it's also really interesting that that the uh intangible cultural heritage designation was actually invented as a way to decolonize discussions around heritage oh interesting yeah, like the whole intangibility of it. Like they really wanted to move away from like the grandness and like monuments or like specific like artifacts. Like you think about a lot of things that are considered heritage. Like originally it was really, you know, more about like like a Eurocentric idea mm-hmm. of, yeah, like, like lineage. And like we're always talking about the kind of like one track path of like history. yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily work. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's a perfect solution, no, but I love yeah. that they're trying. Because, like, as soon as you're trying to do anything where it's, like, culture and nationality, like, of course it's going to be, like, fraught. And, yeah. like, fraught especially is the perfect with... word. Yeah. And especially with this, like, it really gets caught up in conversations around, like, um, like a disparity between oat cuisine or high culture and then also like folk culture. I was literally just going to say it's so difficult to deal with like any sort of of those kinds of issues because who's the one discussing it? Like who's the one saying that this is a piece of your culture? Like oftentimes it's not really people who can, you know, advocate for it. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like you have committees like for the countries that want to put or for you know, trying to like suggest what will be put in as intangible cultural heritages. And then I guess like the UNESCO people have a committee where they like approve it or don't. And it seems like they're really trying to have it where it's like more focused on the human aspects. Hmm. Like I was reading this article that was actually more about how China has like spent like a really long time trying to get on this ICH list, but like, just like, isn't like, there's like 
I don't know, when I read the article, and it was in like 2019 or even like last year, mm. and they were like, Chinese food isn't on this list. And so they're just kind of like going through why, and it's like, because it's too diverse, and it's just like you're trying to pick things, and then sometimes they'll focus on something that's like, it's like, yeah, like everyone eats this specific like Chinese New Year dinner, and then they're like, but actually, like they don't eat that in the South, they eat these other things. And so it's tr- trying to the encapsulate of, like, something broad. Is yeah. also wildly huge in that, I bet. Especially for a country as huge as China. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Because I was trying to think, like, in terms of Canada, like, what would we put for ours? Like, those, like, the really kind of things that are culturally relevant to Canadians, which one is insane, you can't even discuss it. But, like, I don't know, like, Quebecois food is very, like, specific, but that doesn't mean anything if you live on the West Coast. Like, I don't know. There isn't one thing. Yeah, I mean, and I guess then you could also make the argument, like, it doesn't have to be tied up in nationality. Like, it could be, like, mm-hmm. this is, like, a Quebecois thing. Like, it's not a Canadian thing. True. And I think, like, the reason that, like, this one article was saying that kimchi was actually, like, a pretty good candidate was, like, A, because, yes, like, Koreans eat it with, like, every meal. <laughs> Although, I'm actually starting to become, like, skeptical. It's like, do they actually? Or is that just because they're, like, this is our national food. We will eat it with everything. God damn it. I mean, either, however you get to the end result is still the end result, hey? Yes. Like, if everyone hated it and were just like, oh, I can't even take one more bite, like, (laughs) that's a different story. Yeah. It works really well for this because it is, like we were talking about before, like, it has that inherited, it is actually, like, a heritage (laughs) type of food and food-making process. Like, it's something that's passed down. It's been with the country for forever, so... I don't know, I thought it was kind of cool. That is super neat. Let's talk about kimchi and health. In scare quotes? Uh, I mean, yes and no. (laughs) I found a hilarious thing that, like, apparently during the 2003 SARS epidemic, which, timely. uh, No, I saw this too and I was lolling so hard to myself. Because, like, apparently Koreans were, like, relatively immune. Some people were just like, is it the kimchi? It must be the kimchi. Yeah. No, but thank you so much for trying. But also, hmm. Yeah. I also did scam an article from 2013 on uh, both fermented and, like, fresh kimchi's ability to decrease uh, BMI, body mass index, Mm. and, like, weight gain, specifically in pre-diabetic participants. Interesting. Yeah, and apparently, like, it did. Like, it worked. They were... Like, you said it was, sorry, the fermented and then the non-fermented kimchi? Yeah, they did both. Like, I don't know if it's, like, non-fermented, but, like, the fresh. So it's, like... Like, the stuff that they would make and eat right away as opposed to the stuff that gets stored for months. I think so, yeah. They didn't really, like, actually explain what it was, because the authors were Korean, so it's, like, I think you're kind of supposed to know. But, yeah, I don't know. Apparently... It works. I think it seems like it has something to do with it being like an anti-hypertensive. Interesting. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, statistically interesting. Apparently good for weight loss. I mean, the problem with like all of these studies about like food and health and like specifically weight loss or like any kind of like health benefits like that is you can't really do like a proper study. No. Because, like, you can't, it, it can't be double blind. Like, people know when they're eating or not eating kimchi. <laughs> I feel like we literally said this last week about sauerkraut, and it's like, we can tell. But also, what a hilarious concept of just like, okay, you're blindfolded, you can't tell. 
Also, well, maybe know. now's the time to do it when so many people have lost their sense of taste. Rude. Everyone researching food and stuff like that right now, holla at me. I've figured it out. You can't fully control someone's diet. Like, it's not like you're going to no. just feed someone kimchi for, like, two weeks. And be like, did you lose weight? It's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> Oof. That sounds... Too like, much I mean, spiked. delicious, but also rough. Yes. Uh, yes. So in the early 2000s, again, right around this time when Korea was all like, this is our national food and we will... This is our only thing that we're going to focus on forever. Uh, a bunch of Korean scientists conducted like a number of studies to determine tangible health benefits of kimchi. So it's like mm-hmm. one of the things was developing a special kimchi to prevent astronauts from getting constipated. I read about this and I was very pleased. And also just like the fact that the Korean astronauts, like they had to have kimchi on their launches. Like how cute is that? Like I'm not going if I can't have my kimchi. Sorry, figure it out. (laughs) I want to poop and I want to eat spicy (laughs) fermented cabbage. (laughs) Title of my autobiography. Apparently a kimchi research institute, which love that there is a specific kimchi research institute. Yes, and a museum. Did you see that? (sighs) Yes. Yes, with like the plastic models of like different kimchis. Yes. So good. But yes, so this institute in Busan found that hairless mice had fewer wrinkles when fed a diet of kimchi. So (laughs) I guess we can be both hairless and wrinkleless. I'll take it. Yeah, so apparently anti-aging, anti-obesity, and anti-cancer kimchi were all in development as of 2006. I couldn't find anything to follow up whether those exist now. I feel like that's a pretty tall order. Yeah. It's like a lot on just like some fermented cabbage. Yeah. It does not have the wherewithal to handle that. <laughs> it's already very busy just like keeping you full of vitamins in the winter. Yeah. It's just like, I got vitamin C. Is that not enough for you? <sighs> well, apparently that's so commonplace these days that it doesn't <laughs> even make the headlines. Kimchi <laughs> is out because vitamin C is everywhere. They no longer corner the market. Uh, yes. That LA Times article that you sent me. Wild. So basically, kimchi, because it is considered the national food of Korea and a matter of great pride, most of the studies that I've talked about already were, like, government-funded. Anyone and who's- shockingly positive, considering that the government funded them, right? Just, like, no bad results. <laughs> Weird, hey? Well, yes. So let's bring it to the people who are skeptical of kimchi's appealing powers, who are literally afraid to speak up. In that LA Times article, there's the one researcher who's like begging not to be named, but is quoted as saying, quote, I'm sorry, I can't talk about the health health risks of kimchi in the media. Kimchi is our national food. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't do it. Oh. Just, like, the back alley dealings of this poor guy trying to, like, give you the dirt, but also, like, don't look at me. Yeah, it's like the kimchi deep throat. <laughs> that sounds like something else. Oh, thank you. Thank you um, very much. However, that one, you know, shadowy figure in the alleyway, you know, maybe had a reason to be skeptical because one stu- uh, study published in 2005 in not in like Beijing, not Korea, 
found a potential link between kimchi and the very high rates of gastric cancer among Koreans. Which is like, eh. But I think, like, when you look into it further, it's basically just a case of, like, too much of a good thing. And that's the thing. Everything will give you cancer if you, like, all the things you love will hurt you. That's life. Yeah, I mean, it's like, between the salt, acid, like, red pepper, like, spice. Wasn't it literally, like, once the salt and the red pepper combine, it, like, creates a carcinogenic? Yeah, that's what that article said. I, like... That just seems like how, but I don't know. They didn't really explain it. I think it's just like, yeah, like too much salt isn't good for you. You And basically they were saying that extreme consumers of kimchi are thought to have as much as 50% higher chances of stomach cancer. That's rough. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. But it's also like, what is an extreme eater of like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I would be described as an extreme eater of. Probably just ice cream. (laughs) But, like, I already know the health risks of that. The article does seem to note that, like, less salt is needed and seems to be used nowadays because, like, we've got refrigeration, so. And there's kimchi refrigerators. I know. Which is my favorite because now that people are, like, urbanized and can't live out in, like, you know the fields where they can bury their earthenware pots to get the right temperatures you have to have your special kimchi fridge yeah i mean you know north americans have a deep freeze and two fridges and then like a second fridge and a beer fridge so the height of luxury is a deep freeze for middle class like white people i just deep freezes in my mind only hold like dead cats that you couldn't bury because it was too cold out Oh, I remember about deep freezes. Like, we didn't have one. We were not that bougie. But I remember one of my friends had one. And all, like, there, God, her parents had the house stacked. There was always pop and chips and frozen pizza. And, like, usually, you know, those, like, frozen blocks of, like, cookie dough sheets that you have because there's always a mom trying to sell them for a fundraiser. Yes, yes. Oh, God, that house was set. Kimchi, health. It seems like it's... Yeah, like, it's, like, another classic tale of, like, moderation is good. And also, like, obviously, contrary to what the pop-up ads want to tell you, eating or not eating one specific food is not going to magically cure everything. This one food will cure you. Whatever it is. Uh, Those ads are so wild. With, like, the bananas, like, molding. Like, the the fat on a person's body. Just, like, shrinking into them. Oh, yeah. Man, I love those. Those are so funny. Doctors hate her. This mom. Yes. Oh, the doctors hate her one. Or there's like the one that's like a side by side of like a wrinkled old face next to like a really young face, and you're just like, they're not the same person, but they are telling you they are. Oh, it's so good. So so good. yeah. Don't believe those ads. They're and not true. Like, try to eat some kimchi or don't. Whatever. I also read this really nice little article about, like, microbiopolitics. Ooh, please explain. I, I mean, I don't even know if I can, but they're just like, it's about like... <laughs> I liked the title, but that's all I got for you today. <laughs> no, so it's just like about, like, living with microbes, like, as a human, and what they're calling microbial entanglement. Ooh, like, saucy. Ooh. 
yeah title of romance novel yeah entanglement oh they had the b movie so like they'll do anything these days so yeah it's basically just like as we've talked about before like bacteriums microbes we can't like necessarily characterize them in like black and white good or bad healthy or unhealthy because like you know sometimes it's good to be around microbes like we need them to live like in the case of fermented foods, they can be lucrative for some or just people. Like, if you take antibiotics, your doctor's always like, and uh, while you're taking this, you should probably have a bunch of yogurt or kimchi or like something fermented to like get those delicious bacteria back into you. Yeah. And so like the article is just talking about how it's like, you know, E. coli outbreaks and all those other things that we've talked about on the podcast before, just like show how fragile federal health regulations can be. And it's just like, I don't know, let's take a time to kind of question what's like, are those regulations in place to protect consumers or agribusinesses? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, is the inflammatory coverage of those kind of outbreaks like, I don't know, it's just like, I don't know if I necessarily believe that it's true, but it's just like interesting to think about, like, I don't know, this is like our relationship to bacteria. And the possibility of reframing being human, which, like, this is a really cool concept, as being an effective ecosystem. That is such a great point and how we don't think of ourselves as, like, active participants in, like, the food chain. Yeah, and, like, active participants, like, I mean, there's all this talk about, like, gut health, gut health, blah, blah, blah. But it's just, like, let's think about, it's like, we yeah, like, we are hosts to, like multiple different species it's like we're all working together like you know they need us almost as like as much as we need them not to go like too much into it here but like a part of me thinks about constantly like how yes eventually all bodies will like decay and we'll all go back to the earth and like I don't really know how coffins work but I just assume that they're gonna rot at some point and like the ones that were 200 years old now have just like the bodies are seeping into the earth and it's like what will our bodies be doing to the earth in 200 years like they'll I don't know, I feel like we're full of, like, microplastic and bad stuff that shouldn't be getting back into the earth, and that's all scary, and we probably should just try and fill ourselves more with nice bacteria instead. Yeah, and, like, let's eat nice things to, like, feed us, but then also to, like, feed all of the little, like, bacteria and, like, microbes that live inside of us. They're just yeah, trying to have a nice life. Our friends. It's microbes are friends, not food. Micro- microbes are friends and food. There you go. <laughs> Title of the podcast. How about kimchi in popular culture today, a.k.a. the hipsters? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Kim's Convenience and how one of the characters is named Kimchi and it's like a Korean dude. And I'm like, yes, please. I mean, we could also talk about Kimchi the drag queen, but. Uh, I just never got into drag queen, you know, but I did enjoy Kimchi when I saw that. I feel like that was the season I saw. Yeah, I mean, she's she's fun. It's great. But no, I I don't know. Just this idea of like all of the like hip like bro restaurants now have like kimchi and like Korean barbecue. Like it's a fusion. We're going to talk about fusion. I'm going to scream about fusion. Fusion. And it's like the classic what used to be a rite of passage passed down through generations of women, which like sidebar RIP to like inheriting labor 
Yeah, problematic. And also just like one of these articles that I read about it was basically like, yeah, and now we have to industrialize kimchi because there just aren't enough women at home to deal with this. And I was like, good. Yeah, good. Make machines do it. I don't like, why should a woman be like head of the household? Any human have to do anything. (sighs) I'm not doing shit unless I'm getting paid anymore. And even then I'm barely doing it. Yeah, perfect. Well, you know who is being paid to demystify it is white dudes on, like, the Food Network. (sighs) Yeah, they are. They are. And you know what? No, I did read this one article. I don't think I put in my notes because it's like it wasn't. But it was like a blog post. And Mm. it was like a Korean-Canadian woman. She's just like, yeah, they can can have it. Like, I don't want this. (laughs) She's like, I don't want it. And she's, she's, like, talking about, like, having to, like, like the female labor and like weird like sexism and she's like yeah take it there's also this argument to be made that like we should divest ourselves of like these cultural secrets and like any not the i don't know it's a hard line to discuss here but like one of those things where it's like it's our family secret recipes like why do you want to keep joy from the world if something's good (laughs) share it yeah i know i I know that that's like a very like white person having no actual culture thing to say about like (laughs) I feel like that's what the British said when they walked into literally everywhere and were like, this is nice. We should share. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's like anti-capitalist. Like, let's just like spread the wealth. Exactly. Just if there's anything that this podcast is pro is being (laughs) anti-capitalist. Except if you wanted to pay us money, please pay us money. Just send a check in the mail. (laughs) Rick's address is. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yes, as I'm sure everyone has noticed, if you've eaten out like the past 10 years, Korean food has really been having a moment in North America. Good for them. Yeah, there was an article in Serious Eats that I read, which was like Mm. celebrating the rise of Korean cuisine by pointing to early immigrants, like refusal to pad Thai-ify Korean food. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's like... I mean, it's true. I have, like, some issues with, like, it's not, like, an academic source. So it's just, like, a dude writing about it. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, seems to kind of either, like, elide or just isn't aware of the vastly important role that I imagine colonialism and, like, Sino-Japanese centrism has played. Like, mm-hmm. I will forever be screaming about the fact that most sushi places in Vancouver are run by Koreans. Yep. Just wild. And like obviously I didn't I'm not gonna say it as eloquently as you just did, but like it's really like Japanese and sushi culture took on a life of its own. There was no space for anything else. Yeah, and it's I don't know, it's hard to kinda like break into the sphere of like white person taste (laughs) if you're like an immigrant who's just like trying to you know get by so it's like of course you're gonna do what you know is like kind of a sure thing can you imagine just being like i'd really love to cook you some food that i actually love but like here's just like a california roll instead yes a betrayal to both californians and japanese yes yes Uh, of course the problem with this guy's argument and like and i don't think he's necessarily wrong like Korean food, I mean, if Korean food has a pad thai, it's kimchi. <laughs> like, Damn straight. Um, 
and like yeah like they want it to be authentic to their culture but then also like korean food especially now is like the fusion queen <laughs> like all of the hip korean restaurants are non-traditional which is like totally fine yeah i don't know do what you gotta do i don't know is that what you need to say sorry <laughs> do you want to talk about food trucks for a second oh of course i do a lot of them are Korean. And that's like how Korean restaurants kind of became popular. It's like, cause they could break through and kind of match that divide between like, well, barbecue, fried chicken, tacos, mm-hmm. Korean tacos are like a thing. Hell yeah. I was literally like the second you brought up food trucks, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I wonder if I'll ever get to eat at a tr- food truck again in my lifetime. I fucking I hope mean, so. Food trucks seem like a better choice than just like a restaurant. If you're like COVID thinking. Nothing is open here. It's the end of days. I'm feeling the COVID fatigue real strong these days. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been a rough one. Uh, But yeah, I would love to go eat at a food truck. And I would love to eat Korean barbecue. And I am going to eat kimchi and sauerkraut. I actually thought about it and I was like, I'm going to have a taste test next to each other just so I can really compare texture Mm, and everything. That'll be a very different experience. I know. I suck that I haven't had both of them. (laughs) What can you do? I'm very white. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, Although one of them is literally German, which is my like heritage, so there's no excuse for that either. My bad. Are you aware of David Chang of Momofuku Noodle Bar? I'm aware of him as a person, as a delightful chef, but would you like to expand on your thoughts? Yes! All I've done is enjoyed the eatings. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. No, I mean, I... <sighs> So yes, he is a giant in the food world and now in entertainment. He's got that show on Netflix. Is it Ugly Delicious? I've seen it. Which I know I, I should. haven't either. Everybody said it's great. Well, here's the thing. Mm. <laughs> He's a complete asshole and like really bad person. Uh, is this something that you know personally or just like from uh, watching him exist? No, from reading articles. So oh, he's okay. like, he has the classic like hashtag no filter like bad boy yeah. chef like like that's sort of like his aesthetic and culture surrounding chefs and like restaurant like kitchens are just absolutely fucking atrocities and the person who finally figures out a way to smack that shit out forever gets a Nobel Peace Prize to be totally honest with you yeah I mean I think I hope that like now we're getting better but but there's so many remnants of it like it's oh anyways whatever I have my own axe to grind there oh well here we go let's grind that damn axe so yes so his whole thing was about like claiming not to care what the critics or media think and like he's just in it for the food like all about like flavor and like the idea of like creating like like making a restaurant based around what like a chef wants to eat like he's very like chef forward which like kill me again the cult of the chef needs to die i'm not saying and this is someone who loves food and loves to dine out and is like so excited when you get a great meal but like the cult of the chef needs to die yep uh so he wrote a memoir (laughs) it's called eat a peach and it has been criticized for wait is the peach in reference to that scene in that movie with the guy who's now a cannibal I wish. <laughs> no, I don't really know. I don't. I don't. I don't know what it's about. I don't. I did because I didn't look into it. I haven't read it. I have a friend who's read it, and I read this article. Good to know. 
Um, yes, but it's been criticized for, like, si- like signaling self-reflexivity without actually apologizing or explaining a lot of the, like, toxic and, like, straight-up fucked-up stuff that seems to have been built into the Momofuku brand, like, from David Chang all the way down. Would you give examples of that? Yes, former employees have reported wall-punching desk breaking, violent threats, like screaming at like line cooks because they made a bad staff meal, like in front of everyone and being like, I'm going to like murder your family and scalp. (laughs) Sorry, that's not funny. No. Uh, What else? So the article that I read was an eater and it's written by Hannah Selinger, who worked Mm -hmm. briefly as like the Momofuku, like the, the restaurant group's beverage director interesting and like in it she like recalls a really like upsetting time where he like just like tore a strip off of her in front of the staff and she like her account is basically like it was just to like make me look lesser in front of the staff like it's like just like that kind of thing where it's just let's it's like oh you think you're a boss here no i'm the boss like no one's gonna respect you now so her quote just like about the memoir, she calls it an inward-looking, relentlessly self-flagellating apology performed in public when the people he hurt deserve one most of all. That's very poignant. Yes. Also, this is hitting, like, deeply, deeply in my soul right now, so anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So I haven't read it. Maybe I will. If I can, like, get it from the library so he doesn't get my money. (laughs) Yeah, that's a thing. Or start stealing it, I guess. Yeah. But uh, my friend who read it did say that one of the few things that he was, like, not self-aware about in the book was his own use of appropriation, a.k.a. opening a ramen bar as, like, a Korean-American. And he's just like, what? I'm Asian. Like, it's like, no. Yeah. So, I don't know, that was, like, my take on him as kimchi, and it was funny, because, like, his stuff kept coming up, not, like, it, like, it came up in a couple of my notes, like, his, like, special, like, kimchi thing, and, like, yeah, Korean food's having a moment, like, David Chang's, like, fusion food, and I had just talked, like, with Laura about the memoir, and, like, then I found this, and I was like, Ugh. That is so interesting, actually. I'm really glad to know that, because I enjoyed my dinner there, but, uh, he clearly is a piece of shit, so good to know. Yeah, I mean, like, good food's great, but you don't have to, like, the thing is, you don't have to run a kitchen like that. Like, you can create It's very possible to be a nice human in a kitchen. It's very possible to create, like, great food and have a great restaurant and not, like, be, I don't know, not, like, punch holes in walls. Like, scream at your staff. (laughs) Yeah, just, uh. Let's hope that that dies soon. Yeah. Very painful death. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because it doesn't seem like it does. Like, and again, this is just with all like bad traits that you think, oh, you know, that's something of the old guard and like that'll go away when they all like retire or die off or whatever. But it's like, no, those get passed down and it's seen as like this rite of passage to be such a dick in a kitchen. And it's like, no, I don't know. And as sympathetic as I want to be, because I sure as shit couldn't stand in like that kind of heat with that many people like yelling and asking me things and like that much like yibber yapper constantly without losing my cool but like it's your one like you've got the it's your one job it's your one job (laughs) also just like 
send a chef out to talk to the guest when they're screaming in your face. Like, you guys go have that confrontation instead. I'll go over here and not be made to cry by a grown woman. Yeah, great. That's cool. <laughs> uh, that's all I have. We're, like... Wow. Speeds. I don't know. Any last, like, thoughts about kimchi, cabbage, fermentation? Nope. I got no Thanks. thoughts about nothing. Honestly, <laughs> like... This pandemic, this COVID week has been too much for my tiny brain to handle. Yeah. It's chilled. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Go get some kimchi from a nice restaurant with chefs who aren't going to, like, berate their employees because rude. Ideally, actually Korean, but also, like, I mean, whatever. Do what you want. Who am I to tell you to live your life? Yeah. Yeah. Or just like go to the grocery store, get you some kim was it kimuchi kimchi? Kimuchi is the Japanese one. I feel like you can't get it because that they were like defeated. Now they were Mm. defeated. It was a war fought, not with guns, not with bombs, but with cabbage legislation. yeah uh, follow us on the pantry staples pod at instagram.com please oh <laughs> uh, yes the dot com yep. <laughs> yes uh rate review subscribe because we're nice tell a friend tofo send a check to my mom her address is care of marika <laughs> <laughs> okay bye everyone thanks for listening everybody <laughs>